The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. And welcome back, welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is none other than Michelle Jawanjo coming to you live on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. And welcome to day five of the resistance, as I like to say. Listen, today there's been a lot happening, and I'm really excited about the guests that I have in studio to help us unpack. Um, But, you know, we have some of the best listeners in the land, and if you want to join in the conversation, go ahead and give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-754. Three again, or you can follow the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with one L Jawando. Excited to be joined in studio with Ken Good. He is the senior fellow here at the Center for American Progress. You can find him on Twitter at K E N G U D E and Tom Jowitz. He's the vice president of immigration here at the Center for American Progress. You can find him on Twitter at Tom T O M J A W. E-T-Z. So, gentlemen, immediately before we came on air, but we've been hearing about it over the last two days, that the Trump administration was going to be releasing a series of executive actions and orders, um, both including information about revising or lifting the ban on CIA black sites. Additionally, we found out about draft executive orders that would begin extreme vetting of immigrants and visitors to the United States, um, including the immediate ceasing of the resettlement of Syrian refugees in the U.S. So, gentlemen, there's a lot happening I mean, when we talk about the Trump administration, there's always a lot to say. But why don't we dig in with torture? Because it seems to me, Ken, that that was an argument that I think both sides agreed we can never go back there. Yeah, this was, I guess, not surprising when you hear what you heard what uh, uh, candidate Trump said during the campaign about wanting to revive torture. But certainly in the last couple of weeks at the confirmation hearing process, his nominees for positions at the CIA, the DOJ, and, and of course, most famously, General Mattis at the Pentagon have all rejected going back to these torture techniques that were uh, used during the Bush administration and, and have been found to not only have not actually produced any valuable information, but had such negative blowback that they very seriously cost American lives, particularly in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, where they fueled or one of the reasons that it was so easy for uh, insurgents to recruit foreign fighters to come to, to Iraq and Afghanistan to fight U.S. forces. And so we thought we'd, we'd put that behind us. Uh, and it came out this morning that uh, they're considering a, a, a draft executive order that would begin a review process that could put us on the pathway uh, to resume those practices. But I think it's important for uh, your listeners to understand that even if President Trump wants to do this, there are very serious barriers that have been erected in the pathway to him resuming torture, and not least of which, of course, is the objections of his cabinet. (laughs) But uh, uh, at the end of 2015, Congress passed a law that mandated that the only types of interrogation techniques that any U.S. government official or contractor can use is the approved 
uh, Army Field Manual. Mm-hmm. Uh, those those uh, uh, techniques are public, uh, and they do not include any of the kinds of so-called enhanced interrogation techniques that were used by the Bush administration. Torture has always been illegal in the United States. We shouldn't uh, uh, overlook that fact. But right. since uh, since the debacle of the Bush administration's detention and interrogation program, several things have been put in place to make it more difficult. So despite what they may want to do, uh, it's going to be hard for them to actually do it. Well, you know, it's interesting to me as we talk about checks and balances because the role that Congress must play um, as we enter into this debate. And so coupled with kind of that announcement, uh, Tom, we probably heard um, the maybe second to jobs on the campaign trail, the issue that Donald Trump and talked about the most was immigration. And in some ways, the, this executive order seems like it is nothing but red meat and really a, listening to the kind of anti-immigrant rhetoric that we heard through the campaign that he's actually putting it into practice. Yeah, I mean, so so we're looking at really a collection of executive actions that are going to be coming out over the next few days, we think. Um, today, we had two executive actions that were announced just minutes ago. Um, one of them... Uh, is designed essentially to carry through on his uh, campaign pledge to erect a a mass deportation force. Uh, It's to wildly expand uh, immigration and customs enforcement agents and officers throughout the country, expand uh, customs and border protection officers and agents uh, along the border, and um, that area actually, frankly, extends quite far into the interior as well, uh, to stand up a dramatic amount of additional detention, uh, mandatory detention, without the possibility for release during uh, proceedings, um, to uh, uh, expand the enforcement authority, the immigration enforcement authority of state and local law enforcement officers around the country. Um, it's really, really a comprehensive, uh, and, and also, frankly, to rewrite what the enforcement priorities are for for those officers. So, it's 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 practice right now under under this past administration, the Obama administration, that people who are convicted of serious crimes, who pose a threat to public public security or national security, are the highest priorities for removal, um, as well as individuals who have uh, multiple misdemeanors um, and uh, recent crossers. People who have final orders of removal who entered uh, recently also are high priorities for removal. But as we know, the, the large majority of unauthorized uh, immigrants in this country have actually been here for well over 10 years mm-hmm. and are very well integrated into our, into our communities, into our workforces, our congregations. Um, what this what this executive action today uh, does is tear up with those those papers and say that uh, in fact uh, there will be very very little uh, setting of immigration enforcement priorities not only for federal authorities but even for state and local authorities who will be delegated uh, that kind of power. You know I want to ask you both because obviously issues when it comes to both national security and immigration um, are often at the top of the list when you ask Americans what they care about and as we continue to talk about the campaign but the number one issue was jobs and the economy and how we get ourselves back on track and yet with these kind of perceived or potential actions and the actions that have come forward Um, It seems as if President Trump, and it's hard for me to say that, listeners, okay, so I'm trying. Um, It seems as if President Trump is really speaking to um, a certain population of his supporters and really saying to the rest of us that we don't care about the norms that were established in Congress and we don't care about those young people who came here under the DACA or DAPA and the DACA DAPA programs that the previous administration put forward. Um, I 
want to make sure that my base knows that I'm doing something. Ken? Yeah, he's, he seems to be ticking through a lot of boxes. Uh, and some of the previous orders, I think um, certainly before what we got today that Tom just outlined, have been a lot of rhetoric and not a lot of action. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we certainly saw that with the, the the pipeline orders yesterday. I mean, that was just signaling and red meat to yep. the to to the base. It, you know, not noting the irony of uh, the the campaign that was based on "Make America Great Again." One of the first actions is to uh, ease a pipeline from it's a, by a Canadian company for Canadian <laughs> oil, so they can sell oil to China. Um, but uh, but no, the pipeline, the, yeah, the pipeline, certainly was something that his base really wanted. But I think, as, as Tom just outlined, what we see in this executive action on on the border and, and internal enforcement is some real frightening mm-hmm. changes in policy that ha- will have significant impacts on uh, tens of thousands of Americans and tens of thousands of people who've been living in this country for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, and I could just jump in and say that um, I think the way you phrased it was a really good way of phrasing it in saying that uh, he seems to be catering to a, 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 a subset of his supporters. Because frankly, actually, when you do look at polling from after the election mm-hmm. um, of even what Trump voters supported, Trump voters largely su- do not support a mass deportation agenda. That's right. Um, American public does not support a wall on the southwest border. Um, and the large, large majority of Americans, including the large majority of Trump supporters, uh, are in favor of a common sense solution to immigration uh, that involves not only the kinds of enforcement steps that he's looking at, but also uh, you know things such as a sensible path to uh, legal status for unauthorized immigrants. So what we saw today is we saw an announcement that he intends to proceed with the building of, of his big, big wall. <laughs> but what we saw nothing about is what he also said, which is that he's going to put beautiful doors in that wall. Right? right. So today we saw only walls. We saw no doors. That's right. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, this is, the again, the, the beginning of what we expect to see. Um, tomorrow we're expecting, at this point, uh, another set of executive actions that focus on uh, the refugee and uh, refugee program, essentially, mm-hmm. the U.S. Refugee Admissions Program, as well as uh, really putting in place another one of the signature campaign initiatives uh, of his campaign, which is the Muslim ban, right? That's right. Donald Trump made a statement during the campaign that he was calling for the total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. He was asked and said that it is his opinion that Islam hates us. Um, what we're going to see tomorrow, based on information that's been provided at this point um, and is pretty widely available, is a, a complete and total shutdown of the refugee admissions program for a period of four months so, and a large-scale refugee and immigration uh, shutdown for uh, people from Muslim-majority countries. So when we come back from the break, I want to go into that a little bit because obviously I think that there's some First Amendment implications around freedom of religion. Um, let's come back, and we want to hear from you. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be back after the break. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. 
coming to you live from our studios here in Washington, D.C. Always appreciate you joining the conversation. I'm excited because I'm in studio with Ken Good. He's the Senior Fellow for National Security here at the Center for American Progress. And Tom Jowitz, he's the Vice President for Immigration at the Center for American Progress. And we're talking the latest and greatest about the executive orders that the Trump administration has even proposed or put forth. Um, before I go back to Tom, let me take a quick call from Michael from our the Bronx. Michael, welcome. You're on the Leslie Marshall Show. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm trying to hang in there. <laughs> what's today? Well, which is what five days, five or six days into this Trump era, and already, already, he has managed to really kick the crap out of me and a bunch of Americans. Mm-hmm. You know. First off, let me say something about this alternative facts BS. There's no such thing as alternative facts. We facts totally agree. are facts. <laughs> Otherwise, it's opinion or fiction. So I wish they would stop with that nonsense. On that note, when it comes to these executive orders, I'm very troubled because he's, at his inauguration speech, he said, the American people come first. And that he's issuing executive orders that is totally opposite of what the American people want. Michael, I completely agree. And Tom's itching to get in here on that. Thank you for that, Michael. And actually, we're going to bring you back for uh, your imitation maybe later on in the show. Tom. <laughs> Michael, I, I do want to say, I mean, I, I certainly agree with you on the way that you were interpreting the inauguration speech, that, that much of what he's doing now uh, is not what the American people are calling for and, and uh, not what the American people support. But in many ways, actually, you know, his, his exact words, right, were from now on, it's going to be only America first, America first. That was sort of the sub-slogan of his campaign. And, uh, and I saw some recent polling today saying that the majority of American people support the idea of America first. Um, well, the majority of American people should know what uh, the slogan America first means, what its That's history right. is. And that slogan dates back to the 1930s and a movement that essentially was rooted in anti-Semitism and efforts to close our doors to uh, uh, Jewish refugees uh, who were facing persecution in, in Germany, Nazi Germany. Um, and I have to say, uh, you know, for many of us who saw the America First slogan throughout the campaign and were, were chilled by much of uh, uh, candidate Trump's rhetoric, uh, what we're expecting to see tomorrow in terms of a, a complete and total shutdown of the refugee admissions program uh, for a period of four months um, a complete shutdown in the admission of Syrian refugees in the middle of a global refugee crisis for an, an indeterminate length of time. Um, I mean, it's no longer really a rhetorical thing, right? I mean, this is this is now actually living up to our, our, the history, um, the ugly history of the phrase America first, and it's something that I think we all need to learn more about. And I think the other piece on America first was also adapted and used by the KKK as they continue to terrorize African Americans throughout the United States and mostly in the South. Ken? Yeah, and picking up on what Tom said about what we can expect tomorrow, in addition to the refugee shutdown and the Syrian refugees, it looks like we're going to have at least a temporary suspension of all uh, visitors, whether it's an immigrant visa or not, so that can include tourists from a number of Muslim-majority countries, including Iraq. And the reason why I want to focus on Iraq is because there are ten, you know, maybe three or 4,000 American soldiers in Iraq fighting right now with our anti-ISIS coalition partners, the Iraqi government, uh, against ISIS in the city of Mosul. Uh, and the message from the Trump administration just in the last week to Iraqis 
uh, is when he was speaking at the CIA on, on Saturday, he said he maybe will get another chance to steal your oil, which is just unbelievable. It's a war crime, uh, but it's just shocking that the president of the United States would, would say something like that. And now tomorrow we're likely to get, oh, by the way, you're banned from the United States. Mm. And so we have men and women in, in Iraq right now, Americans who are fighting uh, with their coalition partners from Iraq, uh, and the Trump administration is singling them out uh, as such a threat that they can't even come to the United mm. States. And that is, uh, you know, that is the kind of thing uh, that poisons the well against America and against the United States, not only in the region, uh, but around the world. So, gentlemen, we are almost at the end of our time together. What what do you say to our listeners as they continue to kind of hear about these executive actions and just kind of our positioning in the world? Because I think both of all of these actions also give a strong signal to um, our neighbors and those who we considered allies. And I'm not sure we like the signal that we're giving out in the world right now. Tom, I'll take you and then Ken... Yeah, so, so I agree with that completely, and I have to say another signal that, that the American people sent um, took place the very day after the inauguration when when millions of people took to the streets uh, mm. to say that, uh, you know, the, the, the America that Donald Trump envisions is not the America that many of us uh, believe, you know, is really, is really who we are. Um, and I think that same spirit uh, of, of action that motivated the, the, uh, the Women's March around the country and around the world is the kind of solidarity and cross-movement uh, support that we're going to need uh, in, in, I think, I can honestly say in these trying times. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to follow up with a reminder to what it was like almost exactly eight years ago uh, when we were celebrating President Obama's executive orders to ban torture, close the black sites, and mm-hmm. begin the process to close Guantanamo. And, of course, that's a frustrating tale, not being able to successfully close Guantanamo d- during the president's eight years in office. But it is also a reminder that uh, concerted action uh, can hold back and reverse whatever it is that we see out of a new administration in the first week. And I'm, of course, deeply disappointed that the Obama administration wasn't able to close Guantanamo. But the reason why is because Congress blocked them from doing it. That's right. So we can rally ourselves together to block uh, a lot of the things that we're going to be seeing out of the Trump administration in the early days in these executive actions. I think that was just the note that we needed to end this segment. I can't thank you both enough, Tom and Ken. There's a lot to do over the next four years, and we're going to need you back telling our listeners what's what. No alternative facts here, people. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break.
Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. We so appreciate you for joining us as we are now, and as I like to say, in the middle of the resistance. Um, and if you didn't know, I encourage people to go to Twitter right now. There is a banner that was hung from a crane by Greenpeace activists over the White House this afternoon. So when we talk about the resistance, ladies and gentlemen, we are here. Joining me for the second half of the show, and I'm excited to welcome back and to welcome um, none other than Jamila Taylor. She is a senior fellow here at the Center for American Progress, and Chloe Cooney, she's the director of global advocacy at Planned Parenthood Federation. Ladies, thank you for joining me in studio, and the reason I have have these wonderful uh, leaders in studio is because I wanted to talk about the global gag rule. So over the last few days, this administration has moved forward with a series of actions. Um, But listen, the Women's March this weekend basically signaled to the nation that people are mobilized, they're fired up, there's going to be this resistance. But immediately after the march, one of the first executive orders that this administration put forward was something known as the gag rule, which I think for some people, they may not be familiar, but essentially it sounds like it makes it difficult for millions of women in need around the world to receive reproductive care. Um, And this sounds like the beginning of an ongoing battle. And so to help us break it down and tell people really what is and what isn't, we don't do alternative facts here, people. We do the facts. Uh, That's right. So Chloe, welcome. And tell us a little bit about what this global gag rule is. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, This is a draconian policy that was uh, a failure when it was last in place, um, and the Trump administration has doubled down on it. Uh, It's a policy that prevents international organizations from receiving any U.S. global health assistance if they provide, counsel for, refer, or advocate for abortion rights Uh, and services, even if they're doing so with their own dollars, not even U.S. funding, Hmm. Um, and even if abortion is legal in their own country. Um, So it's really an extension of uh, overreach of our policies. Um, And that's why we call it the gag rule, because it limits what people can say and do. They can't even talk about abortion um, when they're as an eligibility requirement for participating in global health programs. Um, But what's really noteworthy here, in addition to the fact that um, the president uh, made this move at all, was that he expanded it. He went further than anything we've ever seen before uh, of this kind. And uh, in the past, we've seen it limited to family planning assistance, and now it's really covering all global health. So HIV, maternal and child health care, the Zika response, and beyond um, are all going to be limited by this draconian policy. Um, so, Chloe, just to follow up, because, you know, I appreciate you noting that. I, I wonder, because we've made such a huge, I would say, 180 turn from the Obama administration, and seemingly he immediately revoked this policy. What does that then mean for all of the organizations that were receiving money under the Obama administrations? And now what happens? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important question. 
And in fact, in President Obama's first week in office, he actually had rescinded the global mm-hmm. gag rule. So this is a, a total 180. You're right. Um, I think organizations are going to immediately need to make a determination whether they are going to uphold their values and missions as public health leaders uh, that are committed to providing the full range of reproductive health care to women or whether they're going to continue to receive U.S. assistance. And that's not an easy decision when U.S. funding accounts for the majority of all global health assistance in the world. World. Wow. Um, wow. But I think what's most important is to pay attention to the women who are going to lose access to health care as a, a result of this. So, Jamila, you know, you've spent much of your career looking at issues of equity and reproductive justice, health and rights. You know, what what does this statement say to you about what we can expect in a Trump administration? You know, to me, it just shows that they are going full force, all out, anti-woman, anti-choice. Um, another thing that I want to say, you know, to follow up on, um, you know, Chloe's good points about the the global gag rule is the impact of unsafe abortion, particularly in the mm-hmm. developing world. I mean, we're talking about organizations providing vital you know, reproductive health care, global health care, in places where um, abortion is highly restricted. Um, Mm -hmm. It's hard to access, um, but so is access to contraception. So Mm -hmm. is access to family planning. Mm -hmm. So um, I think for a lot of us in the reproductive health and rights community, once we got a chance to look at um, the language in the memorandum and recognize that how expansive it was, mm-hmm. um, it's really going to be a huge blow to to women in the global south in particular. So how do you, I mean, begin to just adjust? You're an organization, you've had eight years of, uh, of an administration that seemingly got this and understood this as um, not just, quote unquote, a woman's issue that we often heard, but we, this was a health, this is a public health issue um, and an administration that has seemingly moved in the other direction. How do you adjust kind of your efforts here, your education work? Um, how do you provide these services that may not be available for women anymore? Not easily, yeah. I yeah. think, is, is the answer. I think um, for the global community, there's a lot of confusion right now, um, and this is uh, compounding that about what this means for them. Um, I think especially seeing the expansion, a lot of organizations are scrambling to understand what it's going to look like. Um, And there's not going to be easy answers in a lot of cases. Um, What we saw, as Jamila pointed out, in the the last time the global gag rule was in effect, um, communities lost access to health care. Organizations that weren't able to say that they were going to give up uh, the integrity of their health care standards um, were forced to close clinics. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those clinics were the only source of health care a community had. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we saw, um, you know, not just uh, lack of access to contraceptives, but we saw maternal mortality rates increase, mm-hmm. and we saw huge rates of unsafe abortion in those communities. So if you're just joining us, this is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. I'm in studio with Chloe Cooney. You can find her on Twitter at C-H-L-O-E-I-C-O-O-N-E-Y. She is at Planned Parenthood and none other than Dr. Jamila Taylor. You can find her on Twitter at Dr. D-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R-O-9. So, you know, the inauguration takes place on Friday. Saturday, you have a march 
primarily of women, um, but, you know, our allies, our brothers were also there in the movement, not just here in D.C., which I felt like that was okay, but to me, what was amazing are the marches that you saw around the country and around the world, and it was just such a powerful statement. So immediately you have this statement of these women standing united with their allies saying, listen, our voices are here. Many of us have been toiling in the field doing this work. And then you get this response. What what it, what will it take for men to get out of women's uteruses? That's just what, that's the question. <laughs> I, I just don't what understand. is the saying? Government, they want government small enough so it fits in your uterus? Oh, hey. what I've heard. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the political ideology is just, you know, it's sickening. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing I want to say, and I don't know if Chloe has a better response to, you know, these men, but what I will say is I'm energized by the marches Mm -hmm. and the millions of women that we saw um, organize. I mean, we saw women organizing in Kenya, mm-hmm. Antarctica. I mean, like, it's it's just amazing. And I'm encouraged by that. Women will not back down. Mm-hmm. You know, this administration, this Congress can continue to try to roll back our reproductive rights. It's just going to make us be louder mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because we are dead set. We are focused on protecting our reproductive rights. I think that's right. I mean, I, I was at the Women's March mm-hmm. here in Washington and was inspired and um, amazed, even for someone who spends, you know, feels like every day is a women's march in our lives. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and it really was incredible to feel part of a global movement in that in that day. And, you know, a common refrain at the march was, we will not be silenced. Okay. And I think what's so striking is that this is a policy that's designed to turn our foreign aid into a tool that silences women. That's right. It's saying you can't actually speak up for your rights if you want to excess life-saving care. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's trying to disempower women. But as Jamila says, you know, we, uh, through our international programs, work closely with women all over the world, and they're not disempowered. These are They are already empowered, and they are fighting back. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of loss in, in the meantime. So, you know, the global gag rule um, is something, you know, I think we we weren't familiar with it and it comes up it seems like every administration where there's a republican in 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 power um but what are some of the other things that are kind of on your radar that our listeners should be attuned to i think what was interesting about that is there was this like innocuous title the global gag rule you had no idea exactly what it was um for those who are not kind of steeped in this work and Unfortunately, I don't think it got the type of attention that it needed to. And I'm so glad you're here talking to our listeners all over the country mm-hmm. to, to let people know. But what are some other things that our listeners should be paying attention to and attuned to as we continue to go into you know the next four years with this administration? Well, I'll start. Um, we have a long list, <laughs> unfortunately. But again, you know, I'm encouraged, and I don't want our listeners to be discouraged by that. Um, you know, I think I'll just start off by saying, I mean, you know, so we had the global gag rule reinstated um, on Monday, and then yesterday um, we had the House of Representatives vote on a bill, HR7, um, that is designed to um, restrict. 
um, insurance coverage of abortion, um, including private insurance coverage for, you know, any of those plans that are participating in the marketplaces, mm. you know, due to the ACA. Um, so that is something that went up for a vote. Unfortunately, it did pass. And from what I understand, there's a Senate campaign as well. So we'll probably see that um, be voted on soon. Um, you know, I'm sure Chloe will want to talk about threats to Planned Parenthood, defunding Planned Parenthood. I mean, also, we're in the midst of this fight um, around the Affordable Care Act and repeal right. of the Affordable Care Act and the fact that millions of women have been able to gain access to preventive health services, um, access to contraception. Women have been able to save over $1 billion annually mm, um, since the right. contraceptive mandate has been in place. There, it, there was a great article a few weeks ago about before the Trump administration took hold, women running to stock up on birth control and getting IUDs so that they can have contraception for the next five years just because of this kind of fear. Right. I mean, there's no nothing one else should you be can in say. that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chloe. And we've, we've heard from women, not just in the United States, but all around the world who were fearful leading up to the inauguration about oh. what this was going to mean for them. And I think, you know, the gag rule, uh, especially coming two days after the Women's March really sent the wrong signal mm -hmm. um, if, if their aim was to alleviate that fear. Um, I do want to just give a shout out of hope for a second, though. Um, the day after uh, the global gag rule was imposed, uh, two great champions in the House and Senate, Nita Lowy and Senator Jean Shaheen, introduced the Global HER Act, Health mm. Equity and Rights Act, uh, which would permanently repeal the global gag rule. And in the Senate, we had bipartisan support with both mm. Senators uh, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski endorsing in both bills with wow. record support. So um, th there is a there is an alliance and a coalition that supports uh, these issues and recognizes that um, the global gag rules failed policy. Um, I think we're looking at, though, you know, the U.S. plays a leading role, has played a leading role on women's rights around the world. So uh, the global gag rule is sending a very bad signal to our allies all over the world. Funding for international family planning and global health more broadly is something we're very concerned about. Ongoing engagement with um, the human rights framework mm -hmm. uh, at the UN and around the world mm -hmm. is a, a top consideration. The U.S. support for UNFPA. And then domestically, as Jamila said, I mean, H.R. 7 being one of the first votes we really saw. Um, again, H.R. 7, the global gag rule. H.R. 7, the, 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 the vote yesterday mm -hmm. um, that was stripping abortion rights. That's right. Um, was uh, was one one piece of what we see as a, a full assault. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, what is heartening to me, as we saw it with the Women's March, is people are with us in supporting women's rights. That's people right. support Planned Parenthood. Right. People, seven in 10 Americans, support Roe v. Wade. That's right. Um, you know, Americans do not think politicians should stand between a woman and her doctor. That's right. Um, they really don't think American politicians should stand between a woman and they her doctor. They really don't in think another, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and in another yeah. country, yeah. right? I mean, but, that's right. Come on. So I yeah. think um, the the political cost to these moves is going to be felt. Right. That's right. Um, and it's our job to make them feel it now. Mm -hmm. And Jamila, I'll give you the last word. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? You know, we need to definitely resist. Mm -hmm. um, and I think organizing is going to be key. Um, you know, women, you know, particularly black women, I want to give us a shout out right now um, in our role um, in terms of coming out and voting 
um, on reproductive rights was an important right. issue for black women in this country. And women are a strong, um, we have a strong role in the electorate. And I think that the momentum that we're seeing coming out of the marches, um, you know, women are ready to fight. And so that's what I'll leave people with. And we want, everyone needs to be involved, you know, our brothers too, you know, men in our lives that support women. We need you to, your voices as well. That's right. Um, and if fight. you've never gotten involved, um, if you look back at history and said, you know, if this would have happened, I would have got engaged. Well, this is that moment. Yeah. You know, there's no sitting on the sidelines. It's unacceptable. If you've never given a dollar to an organization, think about the, the rights that you care about and then support those organizations that uphold those. This is Michelle Jawando, Chloe Jamila. You are wonderful. You know, I'm going to have you back. And this is the Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break. Trump in these voter fraud comments. We know it's not true. Why doesn't he? Well, hi, Michelle. Yes, actually, uh, he's called for an investigation, uh, which he may not like, Michelle, at the end of the day, what he finds out. And uh, even Lindsey Graham has come out and said, uh, enough's enough. Now, look, uh, we all know there are you know some voters that um, are illegal, undocumented, that have voted in elections. But to the scale and tune of five million some, uh, I don't think so. In my previous life in Congress, we actually investigated an, event, uh, an election in California. The best that was found at that point in time in the late 90s was 700 people. And, you know, it's important to note that in 2013, there was a bipartisan commission that looked at these right. issues. So we need to get it together. Also, controversial pipelines moving forward, Keystone and the South Dakota pipeline that was uh, earlier this year moving forward. Yes, uh, they are, uh, and it looks like the way the executive order is designed, it's, go it's going to happen. Uh, I kind of expected it. Now, the Dakota pipeline, maybe not so much. I actually thought that would maybe come a little bit later, but both pipelines have gone through this uh, executive order process yesterday. And, of course, there's a whole flurry of different executive orders on immigration today. And so the last topic that, you know, I just am not quite sure I had to leave the press conference before coming online. But Trump is talking about sending feds to Chicago if the homicides are not reduced. And I think there's a lot of questions from people about that. What's the latest there? Well, you know, I think that this was probably uh, as a result of a chest thumping. Rahm Emanuel said something about Trump's comments. Rahm Emanuel, of course, the mayor of Chicago, something about Trump's comments about the crowd, the amount of people, you know, and then Trump through Twitter said, okay, uh, if you don't do something about the homicide rate, the uh, feds are coming. Now, 
What does that mean? I, I don't think military style on the streets, but uh, one can take that a couple different directions. Are the feds coming in to talk about the, the, you know, the entire issue in Chicago, what's going on you know, all the way around? Uh, from an advocate's point of view, from you know people's point of view, from law enforcement point of view, or are the feds going to come in and, quote, take over? I mean, we, we really don't know from that statement, but I do think it's uh, Trump's uh, aggressive way, should I say, to go back at Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's going to say he's going to try to address the issue. It's kind of uh, strange that it's Chicago. That's that it right. Begins with. Well, this is Bob Nay from the Talk Media News and Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. I always tell people, if you want to lead the people, you got to love them. And we haven't seen a lot of love this week. Join us next time here on the Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be back. Take care.